All houses wherein men have lived and died are haunted houses. Through the open doors, the harmless phantoms on their errands glide with feet that make no sound upon the floors. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Greetings, creeps, and welcome to my podcast, This House is Haunted. Over the next several weeks, I'll be sharing my personal experiences of having spent two years in a haunted house in eastern Kentucky. Due to the spooky nature of this podcast, viewer discretion is advised as I take you into a world filled with things that go bump in the night. Mamaw's visit went by quickly, as did the holiday season. For the duration of her visit after the first day, things were quiet in the house. Our family spent a couple of days together laughing, making holiday treats, and enjoying one another's company without much consideration for the cacophony of negative events surrounding us. Mamaw had taken the doll with her and assured me she would be getting rid of it. I had mixed feelings about this as the lady in white had felt like my only ally in the house. Mamaw's words about not trusting anyone that wasn't family rang in my ears and I reckon she, being the elder, knew what she was talking about and I stopped asking questions about how that might change things in the house. It was a couple of days after Mamaw returned to her home that Daddy first asked me to help him down in the barn. Molly was recovering from a pretty nasty head cold, and Wayne was off with his friend Billy Bob once again, so I was the only kid available to help him with feeding the animals that were currently stabled for the winter. After Daddy assured me I wouldn't be stuck mucking out stalls alone, I was happy to have some time with him and the animals. Since I was a little bitty, I've loved any and all excuses to make friends with all the critters that crossed my path. That made it hard living on a working farm, since the last thing you want to do is become best buddies with the pig your dad is fattening up to feed your family. This is one of the reasons he didn't let me help with him too much, because it was pretty difficult for him to resist when the waterworks started because I felt connected with the food supply. The barn was just over the hill from the house. A steep walk down at an 80-degree angle that I had taken to sliding down on my rear to expedite things. Daddy, much more cautious, would walk down the driveway, up the road, and then in through the entrance to the barn, since his back injury wouldn't allow such a bumpy ride down. The barn was old, probably just as old as the house, which was well over 50, and had dark, weathered gray boards covering it. The tin roof was a deep rust color after years of damp Kentucky days and nights. It was very large with two levels including a very spacious loft for storing hay and multiple stalls for sheltering animals during the colder months. At the time, we had several pigs, some goats, chickens, and pigeons that were calling the barn home. That morning we had gotten our first snow since moving to Kentucky making the holler glisten and gleam in the fading sunlight. I've always found it slightly eerie how snow muffles the sounds of the world, making the sound of me sliding down the hill seem impossibly loud and abrasive. 
After reaching the barn, I stood by the door waiting for Dad to make his way over. I looked at the large doors and backed up a little and looked up. Even on the sunniest of days, the barn appeared dark, as if light couldn't touch it. In the dying light of the sun, it seemed cavernous, like a black hole waiting for some hapless wanderer to stumble inside. There was no way I was going in without Daddy, so there I waited, with the sounds of pigs squealing and rooting around in their stall, normalizing the moment. I stood there a few minutes, looking up at the sky and towards the path that Daddy was carefully walking down. Once he reached the drive, I shouted, What took you so long? Playfully, pretending I was yawning. He called back, About four inches of snow, smarty pants. And I laughed. When he reached the barn door where I was standing, he asked, Why didn't you head on in, Tenny, to get out of this wind? I shrugged, remembering all the horrors I'd seen in the dark since moving here, and replied, I'd rather wait for you. He shook his head and said, If you say so, before pulling open the barn door, struggling to open it a bit because of the snow accumulated around it. The barn was impossibly dark, with the only light coming from the last rays of the evening sun. Daddy sighed and commented, I really gotta run some electric down here and get some lights up. We better make it fast or we're gonna be trying to get these hogs fed in the dark. The thought of stumbling around in the pitch black barn made me shudder, and I pulled my coat tighter around me, walking closer to Daddy as I did so. He walked slowly but confidently into the dark, picking up the wooden-handled pitchfork we used to move hay into the stalls. If you've never had the pleasure of raising hogs, it would be hard to describe the pungent, awe-consuming scent that accompanies them. It's a mixture of body odor, manure, damp earth, hay, and corn that no amount of mucking of pens could erase, and our barn was no different. Oddly enough, it's a smell that had always been comforting to me, as I love pigs, finding them intelligent, gentle companions, which always chapped daddies behind because once I fell in love with one, there was no way was making it to the breakfast table. As I mentioned before, my family's only source of income was my daddy's disability, so doing things like raising livestock and growing gardens was a necessity to keep us fed and a little extra money in our pockets. Daddy had grown up with six siblings on a farm not far from the house we were living in, and I could tell he was happy to be back in Kentucky and close to his best friend of over 20 years, albeit under less than ideal circumstances. As Daddy proceeded to toss hay into the hog pen for bedding, I set about scooping out some shelled corn to put in their trough with some water. Daddy also had brought some old bread as well as apple and potato peelings to add in with their corn. Several stocky, grunting hogs were lined up eagerly awaiting their evening meal as I poured it carefully into the trough, and they began munching greedily, their teeth easily grinding the hard corn and finding its hidden sweetness. I watched them for a few moments, content to see them so satisfied with their meal and knowing my part in bringing about that happiness, before I moved on to my next task, which involved feeding and watering the pigeons. Daddy loved pigeons. 
although birds had never been a favorite of mine, even less so since those creepy crows had taken to hanging around the house. He talked about them being another source of protein, but he had yet to move forward with adding them to the menu, which I was more than a little relieved about since Mama's less than loving nickname for them was Sky Rats, which always brought a frown from Daddy. The pigeons were located on the second tier of the barn, not quite in the loft, but in a sort of stepping point up towards the loft, which is where we stored our surplus of hay, as well as other odds and ends like saddles and such. I scooped a large cup of bird feed and carried an open cup of water so I could dump and refresh their bowls. Pigeons are just as careless with their surroundings as hogs, but being smaller, most folks don't notice it as much unless they've had the pleasure of caring for them. The sun was dipping lower in the sky, the once pink clouds turning a dusty purple now and leaving very little light for us to use. Thinking I didn't want to break my neck in the name of feeding pigeons, I increased my pace, hopping up to the ledge and pulling myself up to the elevated pigeon cages and setting about my work pretty quickly. They cooed and pecked inquisitively at my hand as I tossed aside the old water and poured fresh, set their feed in their bowls, and then made note to do a deep clean under their cages the next day. And I heard something creak towards the back of the barn. I stopped, my hands still suspended in the pigeon cage, no longer irritated by their incessant pecking. Maybe it was just the pigeons I heard. Yeah, they were making a racket all right, fighting one another, flapping their wings against the cage, and we were so close to the loft that it made sense that I could have confused the sound. I paused, listening intently heard nothing for several seconds. I released my shoulders, exhaling deeply, <sighs> unaware that I'd been holding my breath as I listened. Time to get out of There it was again. A sort of rustling sound coming from the upper left corner of the loft. I felt sick to my stomach then, but forced myself to be rational and guess that it could be a pigeon that had gotten free of its enclosure that was now searching for a way out of the barn. That made sense. But this house, and how this barn defied what I'd known to be logic before moving here. My hands felt cold and foreign to me in my fear. I wanted to pinch myself to see if I could feel them better, but instead I listened again, once more holding my breath so I could hear more clearly and didn't hear anything, as if my attention had given it pause. I strained to see in the dark of the loft, but with the light fading, I was finding it increasingly difficult. Standing stock still, squinting into the darkness, I then heard a sound that reminded me of the times I had climbed trees and then shimmied down them, my clothes making contact with the bark and making a soft sound. But pigeons, they don't slide down anything. They hopped, they flapped, they cooed, but... They did not slide. I needed to get out of here. My mind was screaming for me to stop looking into the shadows, remembering all the horrors I had found there in the last several weeks. I should keep looking towards the sound. I should scream for Daddy, cry, get away from this place, but my body wouldn't listen to these warnings and instead remained laser-focused in the direction of the sound.
As someone looking back on the experience, I can liken it to similar reactions I'd seen between predators and prey. Rabbits only bolted when the fox made a move towards them. Otherwise, they stood stock still, their eyes never leaving their would-be attacker. My body was waiting for confirmation that whatever was in the corner of the loft wasn't poised and ready to pounce as soon as I made a move. So there I stood for what seemed like hours, what was probably only the course of about 30 seconds, when a flash of light, most likely from a set of headlights passing around the corner, passed over the section of the barn I'd been looking towards. I will never forget the crawling monstrosity that was crouched in a spider-like formation against the beams where the roof met the loft, even though I only saw it for about two or three seconds. It was the thing in the window. Its dark, hollowed eyes turned towards me, its pale, skeletal head tilted, emphasizing the sunken set of its jaw. It was swathed in dark cloth that was tattered and appeared rough and dirty. Its head was twisted out of alignment with its long and lean body. The head turned in one direction with the body nearly 90 degrees in the other and splayed much like a wolf spider that liked to call the barn home. Its claws were gripping the beams, taunt and just as long and sharp as I remembered from my nightmares. It wasn't moving. No breath feeling the space where nostrils should have been, but only a sunken hollow existed where nose should have been. It was not even its chest, but was unnaturally still as if it were some horrific forgotten Halloween decoration. Except that Halloween decorations didn't slowly slide down the beams while you were staring in its direction. Seeing it move was enough to set off the warning bells in my brain and I tossed the cups to the side and shouted, Daddy, as loud as I could before jumping down to the barn floor and rolling my right ankle. I cried out in pain, but could hear the thing still sliding down the beams and I knew I could not stay where I was. Somewhere in the distance I could hear Daddy say, Teeny, with an edge to his voice. It sounded like he had moved down to the horses, most likely giving them hay to eat and to bed down in for this cold night. I didn't respond, fearful that if I cried out again, the thing in the loft would fling itself onto me immediately. I pulled myself quickly away from the spot where I had fallen, scooting back towards the hogs on my rear and using my hands and one uninjured foot to propel myself. The closer that I got to the hogs, the more I noticed that they were squealing loudly. This was not the normal mealtime squealing, but a more reminiscent of the days when we had to give them medicine, which meant poking them in places they would really prefer we didn't. This was the sound they made when they were afraid. I could hear them running from the trough and to the point of their pen that was closest to the front door. Could they see it too? The thought made it hard to catch my breath. If they could sense it, that made it real and not a dream or something I imagined. I couldn't get enough air. I was gasping now, clawing at my own throat as if I had suddenly forgotten how to breathe. Is this what it meant to be scared to death? I heard the sound of heavy footfalls and closed my eyes tight. I didn't want to see anymore. I couldn't. I didn't want to see those hollow eyes bearing down on me. And then, Daddy was there, 
kneeling beside me. He was talking to me, but I was having trouble understanding him. Fear clouded my mind. He shouted again, Tina, what happened? Are you hurt? The, the, the loft, there's something, there's something in the, in the loft, I screamed, pointing up towards the thing I'd seen in the dark. Daddy flipped on the tiny flashlight he kept in his jacket pocket, placing his body in front of mine as if to shield me from any would-be attacker. His body was tense and prepared to defend me, and I waited. My eyes still pressed so tightly together that I could see bursts of white light from the pressure of it. Daddy remained there for a few more seconds before saying, What'd you see? <laughs> it, it was crawling something in the loft around the roof. It was dark. He stood now, making his way to the step to move closer to the loft, and I whimpered, crying out, Don't go! He spoke quietly. I'm just stepping up here, Teeny. I promise. That's all. I just need a better view. And here he stepped up on the ledge, shining his flashlight in all areas of the loft. When he didn't begin howling in terror, I peeked through one eye and looked up at him. He was moving his flashlight all over the place, but never lingering in any one place too long. After a few more seconds, he shined it towards me and I squinted, the shock of the bright white light hurting my eyes. When he saw me squint, he said, oh, and moved it off to the side. I don't see anything up here, Teeny, but pigeons are sure going nuts. It was only then that I noticed that the pigeons were hopping dramatically through their cage, some even attempting to fly and then banging into the wire. Undeterred, they would run and do it again, and this proceeded until Dad stepped down to look at my ankle. I winced as he pulled up the leg of my sweatpant and pulled back my sock, the skin underneath already turning a dark shade of purple. Whew, that's a doozy, girl. You think you can stand? I nodded, and he stood and offered me a hand. I took it, pulling myself up while looking over his shoulder. I saw nothing but the sight of the slightly calmer pigeons moving quickly in their cage. I attempted to put pressure on the foot, but winced again, holding back tears. That's enough, he said, picking me up easily. I wrapped my arms around his neck and buried my head in the flannel of his shirt allowing the protection and strength of his arms to comfort me. There's a hole up there in the roof, he said as we walked up to the front doors of the barn. I bet a coon got in and got them pigeons all riled up. As we walked past the hog pen, he noticed they were all standing together in the corner looking towards us. Huh, he said as he set me outside the door of the barn while he closed them. I'll have to worry about all that tomorrow. See about getting Wayne and Billy Bob up there to patch it for me. Maybe set up a trap so these critters don't stay so riled up. Here he picked me up again and began walking down the drive. I was shivering now, the adrenaline of what had just happened coursing through my tiny body. It was back. The thing in the shadows. It wasn't just in the house. It was in the barn now, too. Cried the entire walk back to the house. I cried while Mama wrapped my ankle with an ace bandage and got a pack of frozen corn to put on it to help reduce the swelling. I didn't stop crying until I was in my parents' bed, wrapped up warmly, my little sister already sleeping as she hadn't been feeling well all evening. I didn't fight sleep when it came to me, my body too tired and sore to resist the possible refuge it offered.
As I lay there in the soft glow of the nightlight, the warm, drowsy feeling of sleep settling over me, I thought, it's back, and there was no place safe from it on this property anymore. Well, creeps, we've hit episode 11. Only one episode left to go for this first season of This House is Haunted podcast. I'm going to be real with y'all. I creep myself out right in this episode and reliving some of that horror. I hope you're going to hang around to see how this season concludes. Let's just say I'm not the only one who got touched in the house, and that person carries a scar to this day. But that's enough of spoilers. You got to hang around for next week. I want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. I know there are thousands for you to choose from, and it makes my spooky little heart happy that you took the time to listen to my story. I'm a one-woman show, so every like, share, and review makes my heart go pitter-patter. It sure would mean a lot if you would take the time to give me a rating on whatever streaming service you're using to help bring new listeners to the pod so we can keep growing and going. You can also follow This House is Haunted podcast on Facebook and Instagram for updates and photos. You're also welcome to catch me on a podcast I co-host called Beyond the Paranormal Podcast, which is an interview-based show where my friends John, Ree, and I talk to a plethora of folks in the paranormal community about everything from Bigfoot to ghosts to aliens. Until next time, friends, keep it creepy. And don't go chasing any voices you hear in the night.